Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The countdown is on. Utah State and Boise State. This season opener coming up this weekend. For the Utes and the Cougars, the countdown is on to November 6th and 7th. That's when their schedules get pretty interesting. BYU ought to roll in these next two games with Texas State and Western Kentucky at home. But on Friday, November 6th, they're at Boise State, where they are 0-5. And the Aggies and the Utes can't really laugh because combined, they're 0-15 since the Aggies won there in 1996. Is this the year a team from the Beehive State finally wins on the Smurf turf? That's November 6th. Uh, November 7th is the Utes opener with Arizona. We're going to get to the Utes and hear from a couple of their players in just a minute. But first, PK and I with Dylan Colley right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Dylan, good morning. How are we doing? Good. The Cougars are 5-0. and oh. Are you uh, encouraged by the way they rallied and scored 29 straight points to close that game? Or are you a little worried about the way they gave up 23 in a row in the middle of the game and seemed to really struggle on both sides of the ball? Or it's all about the W and you're not projecting any of that other stuff ahead to what it might mean against Boise State? Yeah, I think one of the most important aspects of the entire thing right is you know last week we kind of talked about uh, how are they going to respond uh how are they going to respond this week right and so i think a lot of the times and what normally happens with byu and obviously right you mr glass asshole mr optimistic but when you look at normally what would have taken place on a normal byu team these last few years it would have been we give up 23 guess what that means we're going to give up 14 more and lose the game right so for them to be able to bounce back, rally the troops, and kind of get it going, right? I see, I saw a lot of benefit of it, and you still, still can't, you know, dispute the fact that they did play a pretty, pretty dang good game against a really athletic team, and they did exactly what we wanted them to, which was, hey, how are you going to bounce back? So when you speak of that, and it's hard to argue when you say that in prior years, what's the difference this year as you see it? Uh, I just think the confidence in the leadership, right? People's confidence in Kalani. Um, you know, there's a plan that goes into place and their ability to adjust because they understand their personnel. Um, I think that there's a lot of confidence in that. And I kind of had said this before, but you look at, uh, you know, Gunner going down and not being able to use him to his full capacity, right? And then immediately switching the game plan and being able to adjust to now having Dax is the main guy, right? And it's a different – they're two different receivers with two different styles of play. And so to be able to adjust like they did, right, I, I just don't think that would have happened. And I think there's a lot more confidence in, you know, A-Rod and Fessy and Grimes to be able to adjust under those circumstances. So how does a guy who is apparently overlooked by everybody – end up with 184 yards receiving. What makes him good, and why didn't people see it earlier? Um, I, to be honest, one, when you have an absolutely you know, phenomenal quarterback who can get you the ball, and then just his natural athletic ability. Um, I think he got, looked, he got looked over simply just because of the, the eye test. And, right, as a high school kid, it was kind of like, eh, there's other people here. Right. Whereas to me, as soon as he came to BYU, you could see that he was different, right? That he was a next level athlete. And I was extremely surprised to find out that he didn't have any offers or was just a walk on. So, um, 
Yeah, I think that's just bad coaching on people's part and, and the inability to actually recruit and find the right guys. You talk about, you just named the coaches uh, offensively that the uh, players have confidence in. And, and I've been around uh, college football and BYU football for a good long while right. now. And I can speak to when players didn't have confidence in coaches and we saw the results. And when players have confidence in coaches, the results were startling the other way. So the thought for you yeah. is how important is that, that the players 100% buy into what's being sold to them? Uh, you know, a big part of it. And that's where the culture and the mindset and everything kind of truly takes on, right, a different, uh, uh, I get like a, a different task. Because you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the right culture and people who believe in you as a coach, then you're not going to win many games. The games where you go down and you let up 23 straight points, right, like it's not going to end up working out in the end. So how much of this is all the the culture and the trust and how much is they had to play three different, relatively inexperienced quarterbacks last season, and this year they're playing one experienced quarterback? A huge part. A huge part. I mean, you just go off the simple fact that Zach hasn't played a full season. This is his first full season where he's been in start to finish, has had confidence that he's going to be the guy from the get-go, right? Um. Uh, from a quarterback standpoint, that's a huge, huge benefit. You called it with the Zach Wilson. We've been over this. Uh, you called it as a freshman when he was a freshman that how great he could be. Do you think you were the lone guy out there, or did others believe it at BYU? I think we're so used to believing this about every quarterback that comes in that people were more skeptical than normal, right? Because that's kind of like the where it's like, hey, you know, every quarterback that comes in, right, you talk about, oh, this is the next, this is the next Robbie Bosco. But in reality, right, Zach really was that guy from the jump. And unfortunately, it's kind of like Brian Wolf, right? You've heard it so many times since that everyone's just like, oh, here we go again. Like another BYU quarterback who's supposed to be a Heisman Trophy winner when, you know, people who genuinely know kind of what they're doing, what they're talking about, were you know, looking at Zach and saying, hey, this guy is, is legit. You surprised that BYU's depth held up so well? There were a lot of guys missing either for part of the game or the whole game, and there were a different position groups and all that, and yet the depth came through Hello? well enough. Yeah. You got us? Sorry. That's okay. I, I'm curious if you were a little surprised that the depth held up so well in so many position groups because there were a lot of guys missing for either part of the game or all of the game. Yeah, uh, and, and that was that was going to be kind of the big test, right? Like, how is how are you going to go when your defense is based around Kyrus, when your defense is based around Zoe? How are you going to be able to hold up, um, you know, against that? How are you going to be able to adjust when Gunner's not playing, right? And they really did a a phenomenal job of stepping up and playing extremely good football. And I think that's an testament to uh, you know how how good this team really is um, instead of just being able to say, oh, well, we only have 22 guys that we can play with. They're, they're playing with everybody. 
So when we get to the Boise week, focus and attention and enthusiasm and all that stuff will be on high alert. Now, obviously, all of us will be excited for that game. But we've got two games before we get there. What do you want to see this team do to make sure that they're in tune and still progressing against far lesser competition so they're not overlooking these guys and looking ahead to Boise? Yeah, I think a big part of that is how can you play all four quarters, right? There needs to be the focus and priority on setting higher goals. Um, you know, maybe not as uh, obtainable, I guess. It's, it's all about, hey, how many consistent plays can we have in all four quarters instead of, you know, let's not let up uh, 14 points and bounce back. Like, I hope we're not having the conversation of, oh, we fought back really well the next two weeks. Like, there needs to be kind of an utter dominance that goes on the next two weeks against these teams before Boise State because, you know, when it comes down to it, that really is the true test. No matter what anybody says, no matter how Boise's playing, BYU has struggled at Albertson Stadium and against that team. Yeah, they're not alone. We were digging up the numbers earlier this week, and uh, Utah, Utah State, and BYU combined are 0-15 at Boise State on the blue turf since 1996. Yeah. Utah State won there in 96, but since then, and that was right when Boise State was making the move to the Big West, and they, they had not become Boise State yet. But since then, everybody's a combined 0-15. And there's also some fairly hideous losses in bowl games and in home games. Uh I think there's a combined four wins in that time period for all three schools. Yeah. Brutal. I, 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 and I actually really like it, right? Like, I don't know why the, my entire career, the three times that I played there, uh, I actually played some of my best football at Halverson Stadium. Uh, didn't beat Boise any of those times. Actually, one of the most embarrassing losses was probably Boise State, uh, I want to say 2016, um, or 2015, my freshman year at Hawaii. Obviously, we weren't very good. And putting up even three wins was special. But uh, at Boise, I think we lost like 48 nothing. Ooh. <laughs> good times. A bunch of attention is coming BYU's way, obviously, this year uh, with the national ranking and Zach Wilson doing what he's doing. And at least it should continue to a good degree. To what degree remains to be seen. But how much do you think this can benefit guys who maybe were thinking about going elsewhere to say, no, nah, man, I, I like what BYU's doing. I'm going to – I might, I might, uh, might go there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, this is probably going to be the biggest year for recruiting. I think if you even look at the last year and the recruits that BYU was able to get, um, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys who are now – waking up going, hey, this is worthwhile, right? Kalani has another four years. We're kind of just getting the ball rolling with this team. I think the next three or four years could be extremely beneficial when it comes to recruiting. So the NCA is inching its way towards changing the transfer rule, uh, and I guess it'll be official next summer, apparently, is the timeline. But as a guy who transferred, how much talent do you think will be available to BYU when they don't have to have a grad transfer and get them admitted to grad school, which is its own separate hoops to jump through? How big an impact will it be when someone can just come for a, a junior and senior year or just a senior year, just a year or two, and, and do it as an undergrad? Yeah, uh, 
I think I think it's going to be huge. I think it's big for college football in a lot of ways, not just BYU, right? Because you're getting, you're kind of opening yourself up for opportunities on, you know, people aren't saying, okay, where do I want to live for the next four years or what powerhouse conference I want to be at for the next four years. It's kind of like you may go for two years and love the hype, right, of the uniforms and the locker room and all that stuff, and then, you know, you might – after the second year, your only thought is, oh, well, if I leave, I lose a year, and then that puts me a year behind, so I'm not going to go, right? Whereas now, you kind of have the ability to say, if you are going to transfer, you feel it's right, then you're saying, well, I'm not a big fan of the situation. I'm not putting myself in the best situation, so I'm just going to go ahead, and I can go play where you know, I feel is best for me, and it's not so, hey, what looks cool and what's the, the best locker room to be in. So for BYU's sake, it's, it's big. So has BYU discovered something in terms of scheduling? Because, you know, they've gone big, and they usually get out of September with a couple losses. And here, because of the circumstances, they've gone, so to speak, smaller, with sprinkled in with a few big games, sort of like Boise has done over the years. Yeah. What do you think about this going forward, or as a player, would you rather have the other guys and let the chips fall where they may? I, I'm, I think a big mix of both. I think this team specifically would have handled the schedule that was online extremely well. Can we say that every single year? Absolutely not. But I think, you know, when it comes to truly being able to prove yourself, no matter what happens, if BYU goes 10-0 and 0 this year and they go to a New Year's Six Bowl and they get blown out by 30, everything that happened before doesn't matter, right? And so that's what happens with a lot of these teams is you get this schedule that's, you know, a little cakey and it gets to the very end and they can't perform against that first big P6 school against, uh, as part of the New Year's Six and they kind of, you know, everyone loses their respect. I think needing, you know, a little bit more competition, building out that schedule with the strength it normally has, I think that has more for the bigger picture than just, you know, than just uh, being 12-0 and and losing in the P6. Dylan, I like that. The schedule, a little cakey. <laughs> I think that is a chance to just catch on. <laughs> it's just a touch cakey. <laughs> just a touch cakey. I've little, never heard the word cakey. A little cakey. <laughs> In Hawaii, it means children. Uh, but for this case, it's just, you know, maybe maybe a little soft. Yeah. But that's that no, right? That's, that's at no one's fault. Right, It's just right. COVID's fault. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. All right, Dylan, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming in and uh, enjoy the Texas State game slash blowout. If I didn't jinx hey. anything. <laughs> no, <laughs> that should be the case. If not, we've got huge worries. All right. Thanks, Dylan. All right. There's a the former BYU wide receiver, Dylan Colley, the transfer from Hawaii. When we come back, we're going to hear from the Utes. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from the Utes. The countdown on to their November 7th opener with Arizona. Every time you talk to Kyle Whittingham, the question comes up, have you nailed down the depth chart? Do you know who the starters are? And the answer is always no and no. And you hear a little stress in Kyle's voice. It's the kind of tension in his voice when you've talked to him for a long time. You hear that tension, you think, wow, he... uh, he really doesn't know. I think when he says the quarterback stuff, he's just kind of playing. I don't know if you remember, but uh, Kalani learned from Kyle, right? And earlier this year, well, they're looking at all three BYU quarterbacks <laughs> five games into the season. Yeah, sure they were. <laughs> the starter was decided, people. Come on. But I think when you hear Kyle's voice, he doesn't know, especially in a unit like the secondary. And that seems to be the one he focuses on the most. There are some other things to sort out, quarterback, running back, defensive line. But I think the secondary weighs on him the most heavily for a couple reasons. One, there's the least uh, amount of returners there. And two, you give up big plays there. And the Pac-12 teams usually have big-time receivers who, even if the quarterback is mediocre, the big-time receiver can make a play and get a quick touchdown on you. So Travis Broughton has kind of emerged as a guy who is definitely going to play. I think that he's going to... He's got a decent chance of being their number one corner, at least at the start of the year, and it's not a very long year, so I don't know how quickly that can change. But in a league where you really need three corners, your nickelback kind of acts like a corner. Um, He's just, he's got to play a lot. There's no way around it. Here's your Travis Broughton on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Looking at at all the new faces in the secondary, um, so many freshmen coming in and everything. How how's it go, going in terms of just establishing kind of chemistry and a rapport and communication with, with the group collectively? Yes, um, it took a little minute for uh, all of us since it was a lot of new faces, but um, we uh, we was able to, we started able to hang a lot more and more and um, b- building a bond little by little and w- with our safeties as well. They're young as well, some of them. And um, they're coming along. So we're all just coming along as a whole. Next up is Josh Furlong, followed by Bill Riley with ESPN 700. First off, do you prefer JT or Travis? Uh, JT. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, a lot of coaches have, have kind of singled you out as, as kind of the guy that, that's expected to get a starting nod at, at the cornerback position. What, what does that mean to you knowing that you're following in the footsteps of guys like, uh, you know, Jalen Johnson, but also like how do you feel like you've been able to uh, kind of separate yourself from the pack, so to speak? Well, uh, yeah, uh, being able to watch Jalen Johnson um, – Julian Blackman, you know, all, all these uh, good, good um, players come before me. I just uh, was able to take from their technique and take what they was able to tell me and do with my own, my own technique. And, you know, uh, it took a long time, it took a long time for me to come together. But, you know, I'm ready to go now. Next up is Bill Riley. Good morning, JT. Hey, good morning. Uh, you got a little bit of playing time last year, and you got that pick early in the season. You talked a little bit about 
playing behind Julian and, and Jalen and Javelin and those guys. So if you could explain a little bit about limited playing time, but being in the program and knowing what's expected of you from Morgan Scally and Sharif Shaw and, and how much that can, uh, that can maybe make up for the, the lack of reps. Yes. Um, with uh, the coaches, it's a lot of mental reps as well. Um, you can't just be on the sideline just doing your own thing. You all got to be tuned in because uh, as me being a, a second last year, a second, um, second guy, uh, I always had to know all the plays, you know, everything. I couldn't I couldn't lack because they couldn't throw me in at any time. And them, uh, Julian, all the all the all the big people, uh, they uh, they just helped me, you know, help me every day. And then I was able to just see how they operate and how they became that dog. And then, you know, I just able, was able to do it myself. Next up is Josh Furlong, followed by Trevor Allen with KSL Sports. How confident are you going into the season that this secondary unit can, can do what they need to, to be successful and, you know, keep, keep playing at a high level like you guys were at last year? Yes, uh, we, we still have a long way to go, um, but we, we build every day. But uh, my confidence for my team is very high. Um, I see the potential that we have. We just have to uh, just do the little things better. And uh, as when, when that comes along, we, it would be great. Next up is Trevor Allen. I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, of, of how cool it is to see uh, Jalen and Julian doing what they're doing already as rookies in the league. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, my my dad, he's a big Bears coach. I mean, a big Bears fan. So uh, I always tune into Jalen's games and um, you know watch him. But it, it's it's amazing uh, being able to just see what they were able, was able to accomplish here, and know I can do the same thing as uh, my years go on. Next question goes to Mike Sorensen with the Deseret News. Hey, uh, you know, you've got a really young group of cornerback. How is it being the veteran guy as, just as a sophomore? And who are some of the freshmen that have impressed you the most so far? Yes, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot on your hands, you know, and uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to take care of that. And with the freshmen coming in, uh, I've seen I've seen some great things. Um, Clark Phillips, especially, you know, him coming in, um, he, he's doing some really good things and um, he just has to uh, do work, work on the little things, but he's coming along. Fabian Marks, he's coming along as well. Uh, Kane Savage, he's coming along. Just all our really freshmen are coming along and, um, you know, I, I help them every, every chance I need to, but uh, they're, they're, they're starting to become good. Next up is Bill Riley with ESPN 700. JT, we're not allowed to come in and watch practice this year thanks to COVID-19. So be our eyes and ears. How do those quarterbacks look? And has anybody stood out to you? Uh, they're, 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 all, they're all looking great to me. Um, you know, they're all still competing. I, I'm not sure who's ahead of each other, but they're all looking great um, competing each, against each other. All good balls. There's to Travis Bruffton. Now, here's Nephi Sewell. Hey, good morning, Nephi. Good morning. Um, with everything that you just said, you know, how, how comfortable would you be taking, you know, live game reps here with a game coming in, I guess, less than three weeks now? I feel very comfortable uh, compared to where we were before 
uh, you know, the shutdown back in, the, I guess, would be spring ball. Uh, there's been a lot of improvement, and like I said, uh, Devin Lloyd and the other experienced linebackers in the group have been there to help me. So I feel I feel confident going in, especially with three weeks left. Uh, just kind of living and learning as each day goes by. Uh, as each day goes by, uh, I feel more and more confident leading to game game week. Next, Dirk Facer, Desiree News, followed by Steve Bartle of Ute Zone. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry. Yes. Sound like a Verizon ad. Apologize. <laughs> hey, I was going to ask you, have you had a chance to talk to your brother, and does he have any regrets about his decision not to play for Oregon this fall? He, uh, he has no regrets. I have talked to him a lot. He and I uh, talk more now since he's not so busy. But uh, he's not looking back. He's uh, positive about his decision, and that's what we go by. You live and stand by what you say, so I think he's doing the right thing. And to him, I'm pretty sure he's doing the right thing. And last thing, I was just going to ask you: moving uh, positions, do you like playing in the secondary or, or do you enjoy linebacker? Uh, I like both. They, there's things that fit my style of play, a linebacker, and there's things that fit my style of play, a safety. So uh, I'm not complaining. I like both positions. We'll go now to Steve Bartle of Ute Zone. Anybody else who wants to ask a question, raise your hand in the participants panel. Morning, Nephi. Wanted to ask you about uh, your experience last year transferring to Utah, um, having to wait until the uh, the end of the season to be cleared to play, and then those three games that you played in. How do you feel those those games have helped you kind of prepare for a bigger role this season? Uh, last year was definitely a weird year for me. Going from, I guess, a development guy straight to being cleared was definitely a, a big change. Uh, you know, you go throughout the year and miss live reps and then come in towards the end of the year and start start playing. But uh, from last year to this year, uh, I'm – I would say I'm more prepared now. Uh, my body physically taking these reps throughout camp uh, definitely uh, makes me feel like I'm prepared for for, um, for the season. Uh, I would say that's the biggest thing from last year to this year is my body feels more better going into this season than what it was. Next, we'll go to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, followed by Josh Furlong of KSL.com. You kind of touched on this earlier, Nephi, but the fact that, you know, you had three spring practices as you're transitioning, you know, down to linebacker, then everything gets shut down with the pandemic. Um, how much how much learning time do you feel like you lost and uh, and how difficult has it been to kind of make that up now? I feel like we well, – I personally did lose – any learning time, uh, we definitely held Zoom meetings with Coach Swan in, the, in those times we had off. During those times, it was definitely the moment for a lot of us to go into our playbook and kind of take it into our own hands and make it our own defense. But during those times, I 
I feel comfortable in our system. I know what's going on with the secondary and now the linebacker in the front. So I feel more comfortable now, and I feel like I didn't lose anything, any learning. Next is Josh Furlong, KSL.com, followed by Alex Markham. And if a couple of years ago, Chase Hansen made the switch uh, from safety to, to linebacker as well. Um, and, and, and is there anything from watching somebody like that who has made a switch to a different position that you can draw upon, or is it really just learning your own technique? And also, who are kind of some of the other guys behind you that you feel like are, are kind of coming along and, and doing well behind you and Devin? Uh, Chase is a great example over here at the University of Utah. Obviously, I've watched film on him, and I guess one thing I take away is explosiveness. That's one thing I can use in my game because he can use it to stay away from the offensive lineman at times, but he's also explosive by taking on the offensive lineman. And I would say the, the others coming along would be Andrew Matafa, Santa Futu, and Aiden Fury and Ron Okay, next we'll go to Alex Markham. Good morning, Nifa. Good morning. Hey, so, um, you know, you come from quite the football family, and I, I know that a few questions ago they were talking, asking you about Devin and, and his um, leadership towards you, but you've got two brothers that, are, that were quite the linebackers and obviously one being up at Oregon now, you know, Gabe and, and Noah. So what kind of advice have they given you and uh, how often are you guys in touch, um, you know, just kind of breaking things down and, uh, and using each other sounding boards. We're in touch almost every day. Um, Gabe, He's always been there for me. Uh, I usually go to him. And then he's told me a linebacker, just give it a mile and just be, just have that nasty mentality, a linebacker. You know, it's not a soft position. And then this past weekend, I FaceTimed Noah and see how the scrimmage went. And he's kind of said the same thing at linebackers. Just, it's not a, it's not an easy spot to play, especially if you're not used to it, but uh, I think those who have been helped to me just as much as this uh, family here at the University of Utah has been helped to me. There's Nephi Sewell and before him, Travis Brufton, as the Utes get ready for that season opener on November 7th. When we come back, National College Football Writer for CBS, Dennis Dodd, talking Pac-12 race. What does he think of BYU five games in? How does he evaluate BYU given the schedule? Dennis Dodd, next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Dennis Dodd. He's a national college football writer for CBSSports.com. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Dennis, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing all right. 
We've got many questions out here, and we're curious what you think. And the first one, obviously, is BYU is 5-0, and but given the fact that they had to completely redo their schedule and they're not playing any Power Fives, how do you figure out how good they are and where they belong in the bigger college football picture? How do you do that, Dennis? I think, yeah, I think it's tough just because they, they aren't going to play a Power Five. Um, I think they deserve – Tom Holmo deserves a lot of credit for getting that schedule together, obviously. Um but you know when it when it comes down to it, they're going to be compared to you know an American champion, whoever that is right now. Um, you know, SMU's five and zero uh, in, in in the same situation where they may not play a power five as well. But it's it's just going to be tough. I think the takeaway for now it should just be that you know the BYU is playing this well. I think this is a great maybe bridge season to greater things next year. Um, and Zach Wilson, obviously, is a Heisman candidate. Being a BYU quarterback gives you a leg up any time. So I know the next question is, will he be considering? Absolutely, he'll be considered. So BYU has gotten this incredible run this year, and they've played well, and they've deserved it and all this stuff. I'm wondering as far as what you – if Tom Homo were to call you, and they value uh, national media guys' opinions, and you're – you know, I mean, you're one of the stalwart guys out there. Everybody knows who you are. And so he says, what do you think we should do as far as our scheduling philosophy? Because they've been going, like, next year they got seven Power Five teams, and then they've got, uh, I think, South Florida, Boise, and then they always play Utah State. So that's a pretty good schedule. And in the past, they come out of September with one, maybe two, or three losses, mm-hmm. and then the bowl game that they've already contracted with ESPN, it's just a matter if you get six wins and you play in it. So now he here. They're 5-0. and They've taken on a little bit of the Boise schedule. You know, don't, because of their conference, they're not killing themselves in conference and maybe play one or two big games. And then you have an opportunity for a New Year's Day 6, which I think is probably the most realistic situation for BYU. So what would you be your counsel if Tom would do it? He probably won't, obviously. As, but as far as the BYU scheduling philosophy... No, that's the first thing. Tom Holmo's not calling me. Tom, <laughs> Tom Holmo's in another pay grade. He, and I love Tom. I've known him for years. Um, you know, I, I go back to a couple of philosophies. Those back of Bobby Bowden in the 70s at Florida State and Bill McCartney when he started at CU at Colorado in, the, in 84, I want to say. Um, any place, anywhere, anytime. Now, the downside of that is, yeah, you may not get to a bowl. The upside is you can't get to where you want to be until you play these teams and then beat them and, and know what the standard is to beat them. So, I mean, what, you know, the downside of the the, uh, the schedule now, we just talked about that. You know, it, it's COVID. I know that it's not intentional, but it, it is what it is, and that's going to, you know, downgrade BYU's consideration for New Year's Six, maybe. I don't know. Uh, maybe they're the last uh, last team standing in that respect, but uh, you've got you've got to try to play those teams. And you know, being an independent is different. But I again, I would go back to what Bobby Bowden did. Is uh, I, I had to research some stuff for him when he was when he had COVID, and it looked like you know things weren't looking very good. And I was reminded what they did in 1981. They played, and I'm not saying BYU should do this. It's not on the tip of my tongue. They played at Notre Dame, at Pittsburgh, at Ohio State. There were two more I can't remember that would boggle your mind. And they went six and five. 
Now, considering what they did after that, I don't think that's a bad result. I mean, I, I think that turned the program like, hey, we can play with these teams and beat them. Do you want to play those five on the road every year? Absolutely not. Maybe not in any given year. But I think it's something to think about. I just don't know what the right balance is. I, I, I can't tell you that. Dennis Dodd joining us, National College football writer for CBSSports.com. Obviously, they have the wins over Houston and Navy. Houston's coming off a 4-8 season. Is that a really good win? Is Houston going to end up being uh, top third of the American Conference this year, or was that just another team that has a name and has had a good decade but is having a bad year and a half? Yeah, I'm not sure about Houston yet Um, under Dana Holgerson. You know, he ran off Derek King. Where if they had, if they just had him, they'd be in the conversation. I mean, I think we all know how good he is. And Clayton Toon is, is a fine quarterback, but he's not Derek King, um, and he's making a difference. Uh, King at, at, at Miami. So I, I, you know, I really question what he did last year, trying to stockpile players, and, and you know, after they started one and three, it's, it sent a terrible message to that team. Um, that I oh, would just start over, you know. Just, punt this season to start over next year. But there's a lot of talent at Houston. There has been since they got good under Kevin Sumlin. That was years ago. Um, so they're always going to have speed. They're always going to have athletes. Their defense doesn't look very good at all. So I, I think that's a that's probably a really, really good matchup for BYU. With the Pac-12 not playing yet, as far as me personally, normally I'm traveling with the Utes and I'm busy on Saturdays and watching Pac-12 football, but my Saturdays have been open big time, so I've had an opportunity to watch some other teams probably a little bit more than I do at this point in the season, and I only have one word for Clemson, and that is simply, wow. Yeah, yeah. I I, I tweeted something like that Saturday. It's like, you know, there's they're they're just the best team. They may get beat at some point, but they've got everything. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is the top of his game. Defenders. Travis ATN very quietly is going to become the ACC career leading rusher on Saturday or the next time they play. I haven't even checked. Um, and they've got recruiting. They've got the best the best, the number one recruit in the country plays behind Trevor Lawrence, DJ Ugalele from the West Coast in Southern California. So they got everything. Um, you know, they're pencil them into the playoffs. If they lose a game, if they if they don't win the ACC championship, that team should be in the playoff. Um, and they've got it at the height of their at the height of their powers right now. So it's tremendous. Dennis Dodd, National College Football Writer for CBSSports.com, joining us. You say they're the best team. They're certainly the best team in the ACC. For all of us who watched Alabama destroy Georgia, do you think they're better than Bama? I absolutely do. Um, they're more – now, look, in a one-game situation, you know, it's going to go with the way it's going to go. But if you just look at the two teams, Clemson's loaded offense, defense, special teams. Right now, Alabama is that quarterback in those three receivers because the defense that was so much in question last year and was the worst for Nick Saban since his first year in 2007, it's proved to be susceptible. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's a different standard – now uh, defensively for teams everywhere. Uh, it used to be, hey, the, the leading team in the country gave up 10 points a game. Now, if you give up 24, you're, a really, you're an elite defensive team. And that's basically what they did against Georgia. They, they adjusted at halftime. They shut down um, Stetson Bennett. 
and made plays themselves. And they, and they, they intercepted him three times, and the defense came through. But Clemson's a better team. Um, you know, but, but I don't think it matters. We've entered this age very quickly where if you can outscore somebody, you can win a national championship. That happened last year with LSU. They had the third-worst defense of a national champion in history. That goes back to 1936, the beginning of the wire service bowl. They gave up almost 22 points a game. And I think you saw it at the end of the year. They were just, you know, that, that was one of the biggest, best offensive machines ever in college football. And it really didn't matter what the other team did because they were so elite. So, yeah, I think, I think Clemson's better. I, I might even, you know, venture to say they're head and shoulders above everybody else right now. So uh, last week, I think it was probably maybe the week before, the Pac-12 came out with its uh, media poll and uh, it is what it is, as they say. Uh, do you have any objections with it? Uh, refresh me, because I, I probably missed that one. Or, uh, Oregon in the north. Yeah, Oregon and SC. Uh, I think they had ASU yeah. second, Utah third, and so forth. Yeah, no. No, I mean, that's that's what I would have picked. Um, look, Oregon, I, I feel for Mario Cristobal, he's had five opt-outs. Yeah. And, and pretty significant guys. Penny Sewell, uh, one of those guys in the defensive secondary, I mean, really, start obviously starting guys, and you know, can can they win the North in the in the Pac-12 without those guys? I think they can, but I think it really uh, cuts into their playoff chances. Which the Big 12, I'm sorry, the Pac-12 is going to have a problem with starting so late and trying to get seven games in the fewest of any conference at that point in any Power Five conference. Uh, and then USC, I just talked to Keaton Slovis this morning. He he has those concerns too that I just mentioned. You know, playing seven games without being interrupted by COVID. But I, I, I'd like, I'd like USC since last year when they got things settled down. And I know they had a bad, bad bowl game. That was a bad bowl game. But they seem to be settled down now. The recruiting's better. Um, this is going to be, for, for better or worse, a mulligan year for Clay Helton. They're not going to fire him this year. I don't think you can when you only play seven games. So, no, I, I didn't have a problem with it. Has the Big 12 opened up a spot for somebody, whether it's a 7-0 Pac-12 team, if someone gets to 7-0, or for a runner-up in another league, do you buy Oklahoma State going undefeated, one loss no. Iowa State, one loss K-State? They have terrible losses. They lost to Sunbelt teams at home. Yeah, no, the, uh, the Big 12 has provided an opening for now because their two best franchises are 2-2, two and two, Texas and Oklahoma. And usually you get a favorite to come out of that Red River game, and obviously that was the worst possible result for the Big 12 that Oklahoma would win. And so you're counting on an Oklahoma State who never follows through, uh, even when they've started like this in the past. Uh, an Iowa State that, you know, uh, I love Matt Campbell, but I don't see him going from 7-6 and six and a 25-24 and 24 career coach to a, to a Big 12 championship. Hey, I might be wrong. Um, you know, Kansas State's right in there. Uh, at three and zero as well, I think that's a great, great story with Chris Klein and three and one and three and zero in the league. But I, I, I just don't see it. In fact, Case State's playing a true freshman at quarterback now because of injury. So, yeah, that may have provided a, a slot for what you mentioned—a second team from another league or a Pac-12 spot. You're right. Getting back to Slovis, I think he's the best pure passer in the Pac-12. You doing a piece on him? You know what? I was asking him about the letter that the USC players right. wrote, yeah. which to me inexplicably 
got this league going when to the point that it, if it wasn't written, the Pac-12 may not have played. I guess really? they would have and followed the Big Ten. But it amazes me that a letter from players basically got Governor Newsom of California and Larry Scott to meet in person. I mean, that boggles my mind because it came, I think, three weeks after the bid, the game-changing announcement that the, the, the Pac-12 is going to test daily. And then it was crickets. Yeah. And then it was a letter, and then they got on the field. I mean, that's a, it shows the power of the student-athlete. So how much do you think the power of the student-athlete is going to lead to some of the demands? The whole Players United thing kind of faded away, but there's, you know, it's just smoke. You can't prove anything. But three of the four leagues that shut it down and then restarted were facing the Players United, and that kind of went away after they shut down. Yeah, no, I, I on the player, on the We Are United thing specifically, I didn't give that much credence because, okay, we want to play. No kidding you want to play. The parents want to play. But guess what? In, in a worldwide pandemic, I'm sorry, you, didn't get, you don't get much of a say. You've got to listen to the officials. You've got to listen to science. And frankly, these schools are scared um, of liability concerns unbelievably. Do they have those? So, yeah, I think that's a given that players wanted to play. Why would you think they wouldn't want to play except for those who opted out for very good reasons? That being said, uh, this is going to get a lot hairier and a lot more complicated with NIL. Because it's coming, there's no doubt now, there's legislation that's been developed for the January NCAA convention. And you're literally, I think, and I've said this for a while, literally going to have coaches and AD sitting across the table from marketing agents asking the question, why doesn't my guy get more playing time because of the social media following? And, and, that, and this is what they've bought into. This is what the NCAA has left for us by keeping their head in the sand all these years, and, I, and I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in support of that. I think it's a long time coming, and these kids should get this opportunity. But look now what's coming. In the middle of COVID, in the middle of We Are United, and unprecedented student empowerment, these players are going to have even more control, and I, it's going to be fascinating to see what that looks like. So I got a theory, Dennis, that I want to run by you. A place like Salt Lake, you know it. We go nuts on college football. We don't have the NFL, and we got the yeah. Jazz, and we just go berserk with BYU, Utah, Utah State, right? I've had Pac-12 people tell me, Pac-12 administrators, we love having Utah in the conference because they get so much run here locally. And one of the things that I think has impacted both BYU and Utah is that a lot of studs leave the state to go to Oregon. You already mentioned. Sewell. Well, he went to high school down there in St. George. It's in the state. So my thought is with this NLI thing, the where they can get money, as you say, or NIL, whatever it's called, that it could help a team like Utah because particularly you grow up here. We cover high school football. They broadcast high school football every week, multiple games on the local television. And so if you're a local kid, you could start building your brand literally at 15. And if you stay local and go to Utah, BYU, whatever it might be, that that brand gets bigger. So financially, it might be in your benefit to stay local, rather go to Oregon or Stanford or SC or what have you, because you'll have started your brand literally from the time you were 15 years old. So financially, it might be in your best interest, and it could help the locals keep kids within state. You buying that theory? It can, but it's going to be regulated. So whatever they get coming out of high school or whatever they're told they can get, 
it's going to be regulated in some way. There's going to be a fair market value. In other words, you know, to to the point, you know, USC won't be able to quote unquote steal a kid from Utah because they can offer more. It's kind of like, um, you know, uh, cost of attendance. USC is going to get the kid to the USC, and that's what I had said is the ultimate upshot of NIL. Alabama is still going to get the best players. Toledo's not. And that's not going to change the pecking order, the, the DNA, the genetics of college football. Uh, you look at a kid like Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, the quarterback. If he was allowed to get NIL money this year, and I've already written about it, he could earn, because of his following, $838,000 a year. I don't have a problem with that. You know, he's very carefully crafted his, his social following. Okay. Now, does that mean, you know, I, I think he's still going to Oklahoma uh, as opposed to, let's say, Utah because of that, because he's been recruited and he, he can earn that money in a vacuum that somebody's not earning, you know, offering him more at Utah. Does that make sense? Because I, I think it's, you know, I, I, I think they're going to get more money, but I think it's going to be regulated enough where the boosters and recruiting can't overpay. That will still be under the table. Don't get me wrong. Dennis, we appreciate you coming on and giving us a little bit of time and talking a little college football this morning, talking about the uh, the Pac-12 and BYU and uh, NIL money. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Thanks so much. There's Dennis Dodd, national college football writer for CBS Sports. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Game one of the World Series. Next. Stay with us.